Hello, how's it? Awemei bra and welcome to Ramcast. If this is your first time here, this is the podcast where we talk about movies, pop culture, it's a little bit of Star Wars and everything in between while keeping it nice and loose like guava juice. My name's Ryan. So glad that you're with me. Let's get to the show. On today's show, we uh, are going to be doing the monthly AMA. This is fast becoming one of my favorite things to do. I get to chat to all you guys, find out what you want to know. You send me some interesting questions. I have got some incredible ones today uh, that I've been looking at the last couple of days. And I'm like, I cannot wait to answer these. I think they're going to be incredible. So really, really excited about that. Thank you to everyone that sent in questions. Like I said, I will be doing these every month. So if you've got some questions that you want to ask me, get a hold of me on the socials, on the Facebook, on the Instagram, on the threads, on the TikTok, on the what's it, on the who's it, on the how's it. And uh, yeah, I'll give it an answer. It doesn't matter what it is. Well, it does kind of matter what it is, but you know what I mean. Before we kick into today's show, it's now time for a little segment that I like to call... And now I'm going to be very honest with you guys, very transparent. Originally, the best of the week this week was going to be about my dog, Benny. I love my dog, Benny, so much. He is my lockdown hound. I got him during the hard lockdown we had here in 2020. And uh, for people that weren't living in South Africa at that time, we had a very, very, very hard lockdown, very hardcore. Couldn't go out of our houses. I can't remember what it was, how far you could go, maybe down to the shops or something. You could, all our alcohol was taken away, all our cigarettes were taken away because when people zoll, they put the saliva on the paper. So we couldn't smoke. So we had no fun. And then during that, decided to get a puppy who's young Benny, so I had to drive and cloak and dagger, you know, <laughs> dodge the cops and pick up this dog and whatever, and he he really is like my emotional support animal. He's amazing. He's an incredible, incredible dog. It's also the first opportunity I've had to, like, fully train a dog on my own, so, like, normally dogs in the past have gotten from, like, shelters and what have you, so they've been, like, a little bit, not messed up, but, like, you know, they've got a little bit of issues, if you will, and Benny was the first one where I got him, like, straight out the box, so whatever bad traits he has is straight from me, and holy shit, does he have a lot, because I've put all of my personality into this dog, and he is one of the naughtiest little fuckers you will ever meet, but incredibly loving he's amazing so yeah the best of the week was going to be about ben and normally i record this podcast on a sunday i'm recording it on a monday night now and i don't want to say thank god i did but last night i watched possibly one of the greatest rugby games ever and this will become my best of the week i'm sorry benny but the south africa versus france match at Rugby World Cup 2023, holy shit bananas, one of the best rugby matches I have ever seen, definitely the tensest rugby match I have ever seen, I watched it here at home, on my couch, with my two dogs next to me, and my heart was like 180 beats per minute, it was like, I was sweating, I didn't, I, I, I could not sleep afterwards, I think I was awake till like one in the morning, it was ridiculous, 
Uh, everybody I've spoken to said that it was an incredible match. I've got uh, my poor French bastard friend who lives in Toulouse, France. And he was like, I don't know, I'm going to go to work in the morning. <laughs> but uh, he did okay. He's still alive. They haven't killed him with a croissant or anything. So, yes, to the Springboks, to the Boca, you were my best of the week. Thank you, guys. And now we are going to get into the AMA section of the show. So sit down, relax. If you're driving in your car, just zone out a little bit. Don't zone out too much. Don't hit anything. But uh, listen to my answers. Think about what your answers would be. Also, quite a few people listen to me in the shower and the bath. So they have told me. So if you, you're there giving yourself an old scrub, think of what you would answer for these questions as well and get hold of me. I always love that type of thing when you Oaks interact with me. So here we go. Let me find my little list here. And the first question comes from Wynne. And she asks, Hi there, Ryan. Looking forward to your next Ramcast. My question for your monthly AMA. There are so many levels to the art of filmmaking. And one usually first mentions best actors, costuming, stage set, and best direction, etc. Besides this, which movie, in your opinion, has the most memorable soundtrack? And which the most stunning cinematography. I find these two disciplines go hand in hand and have a huge impact on creating the atmosphere or backdrop to the movie. Perhaps somewhat overlooked. Apologies if you have been over this before. Thanks so much for the question, Wynn. And you are absolutely right. Cinematography and sound or soundtracks or score have an enormous impact on the... They actually create the atmosphere of the film, you know, because you've got the the visual aspect and the audio aspect running at the same time. In terms of favorites, I had to sit and think about this one a little bit. And I'll start with the cinematography. The two films that immediately popped into my head when I thought about this, the first one was Schindler's List. And the reason for Schindler's List is because the film is shot in black and white and the way that the cinematography is used and is only in color in three points in the film, beginning of the movie, at the end of the movie, and one tiny little segment in the middle. And it's this use of color or actually lack of color that gives the film such authenticity because with the black and white aspect of it, you feel like you are watching something that's real, that's raw. And that, in my opinion, is what gives um, Schindler's List its power. And also, you know, using color to draw you to a very specific moment in the film, that being the little child in the red coat. It's that moment that that flips Oscar Schindler. He, he realizes what is actually happening. And or it not real, not re- finally realizes what's happening, but really drives it home. That's when he decides to do what he does. And it's such a simple technique, but it's so effective. Another film that has an incredible use of cinematography also, and a fantastic score by Nick Cave is, and this is a bit of a mouthful, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Uh, it's with uh, Brad Pitt and um, Ben Affleck's brother. What's his name again? Casey Affleck. And... The cinematography is used in such a way that it almost appears like the film was shot on old stock. It's not hand-cranked per se, but it's it's got this eerie, almost magical quality to it that, when combined with the score, makes the character of Jesse James or the, the circumstances of the film 
almost seem mythical, like it's a fable or it's, you know, something, some folktale that's being told, which kind of gels with the message that the film is trying to say. And uh, it's just a, it's a wonderful use of just beautiful shots as well. My God, really, really, really stunning film. So if you haven't seen uh, Assassination of Jesse James, it's a real little hidden gem. I highly, highly recommend it. It's you know some people would call it boring some people call it pretentious but i find it an absolute stunning film and then to get into soundtracks this is such a difficult one for me if i had to choose what's the most memorable or what is quote unquote the best soundtrack of all time in my personal opinion it would definitely be pulp fiction pulp fiction is this kind of hodgepodge of 70s 60s music that Tarantino was into but nothing that was you know incredibly noteworthy if you will if it was for you my apologies but he then took these songs and put them to scenes or pieces of dialogue that is now so iconic it is ridiculous like girl you'll be a woman soon I mean holy fuck who hears that song and doesn't think of Pulp Fiction and Uma Thurman and John Travolta, you know? And then to get into other incredible soundtrack moments. I mean, I was looking through my albums earlier and there's just, there's too many to mention. I mean, let's have a look here. Let's go through, let's go through. The Atomic Blonde soundtrack. I mean, holy fuck. And yes, this will be alphabetical because I'm going through, <laughs> through it alphabetically. But one of the greatest examples of like 80s Berlin, that kind of sound. It's fantastic. It's amazing. Another one here on the list. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. The Crow. Now, let me have a little chat quickly about The Crow, okay? The Crow, at the beginning of the soundtrack on the CD, if you will. Kids, if you don't know what a CD is, just Google it. Has the greatest Cure song ever recorded. And it is called Burn. And the song plays in a very particular point of the film. And that song and that scene is basically a goth Rocky montage. And I swear to God, that song does something to me. Like, it it touches on something deep and dark. And just makes me want to improve my life. Or fuck shit up. Or do something. Uh, it's incredible incredible track yeah anyone who's seen this movie knows exactly the scene that i'm talking about there's also an amazing nine inch nails cover of joy division uh, joy division's dead souls on that album that uh, i'm sorry ian curtis it's better than the original it just is truly an epic epic soundtrack another absolute incredible one that doesn't get enough love little cult hit that's got an amazing soundtrack is donnie darko I mean, you've got Tears for Fears, you've got Echo and the Bunnymen, you've got that amazing final track by Gary Jules, that's just, wow, I mean, it's incredible. What else have we got running around here? So this is going to be a bit of a cheat, because they are both, they are two Tom Cruise films, and I'm just going to talk about the end song that plays at the end of both of these movies, but I just love them so much. And it is a cheat because it's not a soundtrack, you know, this is a score that has just these songs at the end, but they're amazing and they use so well. Uh, the one is Edge of Tomorrow and Edge of Tomorrow just ends 
slap bang, it just comes crashing in the John Newman track, Love Me Again. And it just comes out of nowhere. And it's so fucking good. And then also you have uh, Oblivion. Now, Oblivion, the score was done by M83. And then right at the end of the film, he does a, a song, proper, proper song called Oblivion. That is also just incredible. It's, it's, uh, I, I love those two films. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow a little bit more because it's a little bit more original. Oblivion's kind of boring from everywhere. Although Edge of Tomorrow is Groundhog Day with aliens and mech suits. So, you know, whatever. But yeah, two incredible uses of a final song. Also, this is a bit of a spoiler, but Oblivion has probably my favorite fuck you line in a film. It's a single fuck you line in a PG-13 movie. It's so good. If you haven't seen both of those movies, I highly recommend you check them out. Also, thank you, Wen, for the question. I think I went on quite long about that, but great question. Thank you so much. Our next question comes from Dane, and he asks, Tell us about movie disruptions. Are you the guy who gets excited and chit-chats in a movie, or the kind who wants to <laughs> unalive a motherfucker for it? What's the worst disruptions you've experienced, and how do you handle them? Uh, Dane, I love that. Unalive a motherfucker. But anyway, um... I, right at the beginning when, you know, they, they're showing the really bad ads and they haven't even kicked into the previews yet. Um, I, if I'm with someone, I will chit chat a little bit or make jokes or what have you. Um, I actually much prefer watching films on my own, just going solo to a cinema. I find I, I just immerse myself more in the film. But anyway, I digress. In terms of worst disruptions I've had, I don't, I'm not one of those people that like turns around. I've actually never told someone to keep quiet in a cinema or given them a shit stare or something. The two worst disruptions I've ever had though, one was when I went to go watch Trainspotting 2 or we call it by its correct title, T2 Trainspotting. And I mean, it's the sequel to my favorite film of all time, and I'd been waiting and waiting, and I was so excited that I went running from work on the Friday and caught, I don't know what show it was, and went running in, and there was almost no one in the cinema except me and this other person who I assume was some sort of uh, kind of film journalist or something like that, because uh, he was sitting there with a notepad and a pen or, you know, either he was a journalist or he just likes to doodle during movies. I mean, to each their own, bro. But, um, so we're sitting there and like, I'm like, oh, cool. This is a cool experience to watch this film. And then I don't know where walks in these three old grannies. And I think what had happened is they had just seen the, the title of the film as train spotting. And they assumed it was about looking at trains or something. I don't know. Cause they were definitely not the clientele for this film. Maybe they didn't look at the poster. Who knows? So they sat down and not to spoil the film, but. At the beginning of the film, well, near the beginning of the film, there's a sequence that involves a um, a strap-on dildo. And let's just say that these old ladies were not expecting that shit. So they burst out laughing and whooping and, oh my lord, Beryl, did you see that cock? And, you know, that type of thing. And they just couldn't shut up about it. And they laughed almost through the entire film and so much so that it was pissing me off so much and the film journalist guy or the doodler, you know, whatever he is. So, but then I can't remember what happened. They did leave during a particular scene and I can't remember what it was. I don't know if it's 
when Spud gets sick on um, Renton or what it was. But the next thing I knew, these grannies had fucked off and, you know, gone to bowls or something. I don't know. So, uh, yeah, that, that was a pretty bad one. The worst one I've ever experienced, though, is years ago. I went to go watch uh, Seabiscuit at the cinema. And while watching Seabiscuit, about a quarter way into the film, this group of about six to seven very, very drunk... I'm assuming horsey people, because they had, I think they had like the horse paraphernalia on. <laughs> they went like dressed like horses, you know, the riding gear. And they came in and they were fucking motherless. And they were just like, woo, Seabiscuit, no, you know, shit like that. And yeah, I, to this day, I still can't watch Seabiscuit properly because of that. So yeah, those are, those were my two worst ones. But thankfully, I'm actually, I'm, I'm quite, quite blessed with not having bad experiences with that type of thing. My next question comes from uh, Mr. Christian, an old uh, old school friend of mine from Sweet Valley days, and uh, he's he's got a he's got a beaut. His question is, what was the best late night ETV movie of all time? I know you've watched them all, Ryan. Uh, thank you, Mr. Christian. Now, for those that don't know, or live in another country, or just I don't know, lived under a rock. We, uh, here in South Africa, you know, have our, our national broadcaster, which is the SABC. And kind of, you know, emanates and multi-choice is a private broadcast and what have you. But ETV, which is another channel, was kind of the very first proper private broadcaster in terms of like it was sport, it was news, it was everything. And how ETV tried to bring in listeners was either through wrestling or through football. But another trick that they did is where every Friday and Saturday night at midnight, they would screen um, some kind of adult films, if you will, of the softcore variety. And this was roundabout near the end of high school for us. So when they started doing that, it was a very, 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 very big deal. It was a huge talking point on Monday mornings. But I have to admit something. And even though Christian says, I know you've watched them all, Ryan. I actually didn't. I haven't haven't gone, you know, like I know most of them. Jesus, I'm not putting up a good argument here. But (laughs) it's what I'm trying to say is I have two friends, okay, who shall remain anonymous, who... And I'm not bullshitting yet. I think could write a doctoral thesis on these films. <laughs> they, they went so deep. Excuse the pun. Sorry. That they knew who the actors were. They knew the producers were. They knew the directors. Uh, they could critique each one. They were like, wow, that was really decent Elaine Selitsky before <laughs> production. <laughs> <laughs> on Saturday. Wow, they're really, you know, they're upping the production levels and oh, the acting was quite stellar this time. <laughs> it was, uh, it's just, oh, such, such fond memories. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, let's just, let's just say they, if, if I could get them on, uh, we could probably do about, I don't know, 17 podcasts just, just on, you know, all the different movies, whatever. But let's get back to the ones that, that I know, if I had to pick my favourite, um, I've got to I've got to go with the old the old classic Emmanuel in space. 
it's just it's right there in the name there's also a, a plot device which involves a tiara that they wear uh, and if you wear this tiara it makes you uh, very very happy and it just, just a good old time is had by all and then the other one i'd like to pinch <laughs> oh fuck i can't believe i'm talking about this on the podcast hey start a podcast about films now i'm gonna talk about a fucking invisible man who gets jerked off <laughs> Oh, God. Anyway, so the other one I'm going to talk about is uh, called Butterscotch. And Butterscotch is like bordering on sketch comedy. It's 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 actually it's right there on the border. And, you know, it's 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 sketch comedy with like some amazing mime work. And uh, it's about this this guy who's invisible and he just has a lot of invisible sex. But it's it's the performances in it that's oh it's just incredible yeah so um uh, thank you for the question Christian um, <laughs> I've, I've actually got tears here from it but um, yeah I hope uh, I hope that answers your question thanks buddy hope you're well oh Lord <laughs> our next question comes from Hein and he wants to know what movie would you or have you enjoyed to watch but preferred a mute button so. Hein, the one that immediately comes to mind with this is Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds because I love the setup with the film. I love it's Tom Cruise and it's, you know, Steven Spielberg and, you know, it's Orson Welles' War of the Worlds and it's going to be incredible and it and it really is and it builds up tension and it's amazing and I'm totally invested in the film. And then Dakota Fanning starts screaming because she plays his daughter and she doesn't stop screaming and... There comes a point where I'm like, you know, Tom, please just take her out the car and throw her at the fucking aliens. Like, just let her go, you know, like, like, really, I, I, I like I want to turn off this film. I want to find a mute button. Tom, she's got to go. Um, but Dakota just keeps on screaming, keeps on screaming, keeps on screaming. Then the aliens get a cold and they all die. The end. So that uh, that would be my one that definitely needs a mute button or just a mute button for Dakota Fanning because I can't stand her in that film. Oh, man. I haven't seen it in a very long time, so maybe I must give it another chance. Maybe, well, you know, it might be better, but yeah. Our next question comes from Richard and he wants to know, what movie ending would you change and how would you redo it? So the first one that popped into my head for this and while I can see why they did the ending that they did, I would absolutely love it to be changed for what it was in the book. And this is Trainspotting 2. Now, also, by the way, I'm going to go into full spoilers about the film. So if you haven't seen it, just pause and skip this a little bit. But um, Trainspotting 2 ends with, um, you know, Begbie gets knocked out. Sick Boy's girlfriend, whose name I cannot remember. Is it Nadia or is it Natasha? Oh, fuck, you know. She takes all the money and pisses off overseas back to her kid. Um, all of Sick Boy's and Renton's money because there was a betrayal. And Spud writes the book, Trainspotting, and uh, Renton goes back to his dad. And Sick Boy goes back to his um, aunt's bar. And Sick Boy and Renton rekindle their friendship. Now, I understand what they're trying to say with... And this, I suppose, is a kind of like a fanny thing that I want... 
but I would have loved them to do a kind of a retelling of the original Trainspotting ending done in Trainspotting 2 with them older. And they did this in the book because Trainspotting 2 is based on the book Porno by Irvin Welsh. Uh, but it's made with, you know, porno was more about, you know, shooting a porn film. Trainspotting 2 is more about getting old and the consequences of getting older. It's kind of like what happens when you have a midlife crisis. The ending of the film says, like, you kind of just go back to what you are afraid of or something of that nature because it's you know it's Renton playing the record and being comfortable with his past I think that's what it's trying to tell as well and I was just like you know in the book porno basically Renton swindles them all over again and steals all money from sick boy and Begbie and everybody and he leaves with Diane overseas so he gets the girl he gets the money he gets whatever and I was just like I would have liked to have seen that with Born Slippy playing again. And, you know, I didn't get that. And I suppose that's fan expectations. That's not what they wanted to make. It's not the message that they wanted to send with the film. But, um, yeah, I would have I would have liked a more of a not positive, but yeah, actually a bit more of a positive. The good guy wins kind of thing instead of the good guy faces reality, because we get enough fucking reality in you know, real life. In my films, give me a bit of fantasy, you know. So I wanted Renton to, to win one more time. But uh, yeah, it is what it is. But uh, shot prof for the question. Cheers, mate. Next up is old Uncle Phil in the UK. And he's got three questions here. Ooh, which are quite tough ones. Uh, his first one is, which film have you just not finished watching? No matter how many times it's been on, why do you think that is? And, Mr. Phil, for the life of me, I cannot think of a single film that I haven't finished watching. Um, if somebody else, you know, one of my mates remembers, please get a hold of me and remind me. And I can do a little revision on this podcast afterwards. But, um, yeah, but what I do remember is back in the day when I was about, you know, 16 something around there i was trying to watch blade runner and i could never watch blade runner in a single sitting as soon as it got to the point with you know daryl hannah and she's in the streets and she meets the the toy maker guy i got i just had to switch off the film and i got bored with it so you know for years and years and years i heard blade runner was this incredible movie and i just couldn't quite get it because i couldn't finish it and then i finished it one day and yeah the rest is history i mean it's one of my favorite films of all time Full second question is, what do you think might be the next zeitgeist in popular cinema? What are you hoping it will be? I'm going to go a little bit cynical here and just say that, you know, generally the trends and stuff in cinema are quite stupid. Like somebody will do a successful thing and they will just copy it into the ground. At the moment, obviously, uh, Barbie is the big thing. So I don't know if the production houses and I mean like they can't even really make stuff at the moment you know with the WGA strikes and the SAG strikes well WGA is over at this point SAG is still going but yeah Barbie's Barbie's the kind of the big one and Oppenheimer but that was more a marketing thing that I think made both those films successful not saying they're both incredible movies but really that was bolstered by its marketing and it's a real you know flash in the pan lightning in a bottle kind of moment that no one could have predicted my hope for the future is that we go back to kind of smaller budgets, getting more original cinema out in, you know, into the cinema houses. 
not these huge tentpole, you know, action films or sequels or, you know, superhero films, like something really, really original, you know, biopics, things like that. So I don't know where the next, what the next zeitgeist is going to be. I, I can't predict that, but that's my hope for the future. And then for Phil's last one, and this I might actually turn into an episode later on because there are so many that I can talk about. But his was film credit intro sequences. There used to be art, now it's largely ignored. You know, what kind of ones really, you know, resonate with me or, or important. And Jesus, Phil, I mean, <laughs> I could I could go on about this for days. I mean, I could just talk about David Fincher with this, you know, with the beginning of Fight Club where it starts in a neuron with, you know, the Dust Brothers playing and then slowly pans out of the narrator's head into his neuron, into his medulla oblongata, into his skull, into his fucking nose, his eyeball, down the barrel of a gun, like incredible stuff. I mean, then also the intro sequence of um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, where you've just got, you know, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross just, and Karen O, yeah, just fucking hammering out Immigrant Song to, like, this crazy CGI black tar, God knows what, amazing. But if I had to pick one real quick, and I don't want to go too long about this because, you know, I do want to do an episode about it. My favorite intro sequence of all time, and it's so simple, and it's so retro, and it's so 80s, is still the original Terminator where the characters are just coming across the screen and you're just hearing that and the little computer text is just coming over and that title screen or that intro sequence tells you all you need to know about the emotion of that film that this film has this incredible melancholy running through it and that's why terminator the first terminator is my favorite out of all of the terminator films even more so than terminator 2 because it's got this wonderful 80s melancholy in it of like you can't escape your fate and like shit just happens but we find love and we just push through it anyway and oh man I just it really touches something deep inside of me so yeah there we go for film intro sequences Boyakasha there we go another man across the pond Uncle Warren asks what thing which hasn't been made into a movie would you like to see? Example, Brave Star, Dino Riders, Gargoyles, maybe a game you play, etc. Now, the gaming side of things, I think, is a complete different conversation. Like, first off the bat there is Metal Gear Solid. But they will never be able to do a decent Metal Gear Solid film. I think it is actually impossible. Unless Hideo Kojima is doing it himself. But then it will be like this seven hour thing and there'll be like a 15 minute sequence of them cooking eggs while 80s music blasts in the background. But to answer your question really quick, the one thing that I think actually has potential for the big screen is there used to be this program that came on SABC2, I think, called Reboot. I think it's Reboot. Yes. And it's about how inside this computer game, the, the, the computer game characters play against the player. And like, you know, kind of how they think they're going to beat him and they can't and whatever. I suppose if you look at it, it's a quite Tron-y type thing. But I think, you know, you could really have some fun with that in the modern day context. So yeah, do a reboot movie, live action. I'm all for it. Liz asks, how do you prepare for each episode or choose what you're going to talk about next? So generally, Liz, I prepare for each episode by having... A small nervous breakdown, an incredible thing of anxiety, and then just turning on the mic and going, <laughs> joking, or am I? But um, 
What uh, what I generally do is I think I've got like a kind of a, a, a thing written down of a whole bunch of topics that I'd like to cover. And then I'll just pull one out of the box. And then for a couple of days, I'll just think about things that I would like to chat about. And once I start forming the conversation in my head, like what I actually want to say, then I'll get down to the brass tacks of recording it. Like I was saying, I generally record on a Sunday. I try to do all my podcasty things over the weekend because it's just, I've got more time to really sit and concentrate on it and whatever. And yeah, that's that's generally how it works for the moment. I think it'll get, probably get more complicated in the future, but that is what it is right now. Stuart asks, why are there so few gingers in Star Wars? Excellent question, my friend, because Stuart is a my ginger brother from another mother. Although technically I'm Auburn. And Stuart is proper fuck you ginger. Whereas I'm still a daywalker. But anyway, I digress. Stuart, to answer your question, it's quite simple. Racism, my friend. <laughs> Imperial racism. No, I'm joking. There's actually quite a few gingers in Star Wars. I mean, you've got old Carl Kesters. Technically, Obi-Wan Kenobi is a ginger. He has Auburn hair, according to Wikipedia. And if you don't know what Wikipedia is, it's the Star Wars Wikipedia. And let me tell you, it's as nerdy as it sounds. But I think the granddaddy of gingers that we are missing out, and no one realizes this, is that good old Palpatine, old Darth Sidious himself, is a ginger. A good old flaming copper nut. So, just goes to show you, don't piss off a ginger. Our second last question comes from Chris, and he wants to know, how about listing your top three movies with the best use of practical effects and why practical effects are often miles better than modern CGI? So one of the main reasons why I think that uh, practical effects sell better than CGI is because our eyes can pick up that it's actually real. There's something about CGI, I mean, they call it the uncanny value with, you know, with certain things, but your eye can detect when something moves or just doesn't, isn't quite in reality and it throws you completely out where a practical effect is made. It actually exists in reality and your eye can see that, uh, particularly when it comes to miniatures and that type of thing. Stop motion, you know, it's it, if or when done right, you know, can be a little bit janky, but yeah, so that's, that's generally my, my vibe when it comes to that is because your eye prefers a practical effect. My top three films i mean i was trying to think about this the one that just really keeps coming up and coming up and coming up again is this uh, film by darren aronofsky called the fountain it's this time not time travel film but it jumps between extreme time periods and one of these time periods takes place like hundreds and hundreds of years in the future where this guy is in this and the movie's quite out there. It's one of my favorites of all time, but it's a very Marmite film. Like, you either love this thing or you absolutely hate it and think it's deeply pretentious. But it's one of my favorites. And in the one sequence of the film, this guy's inside this spaceship, which looks like a bubble. And he's there with a tree. And he's doing Tai Chi while going past the stars. And he's trying to go towards a supernova because... Or this star. I don't know. Is it a... It's a star going supernova. Because when this star explodes, he believes this tree, which is his dead wife, will be born again. Anyway, I told you it's a bit out there. Now, the film was actually done not extremely low budget, but it had it was supposed to be shot for like hundreds of millions of dollars. And then got, you know, the budget absolutely ripped away because I think Brad Pitt was supposed to be that in that or Kate Blanchett or something. 
and um, yeah, it ended up with uh, Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz for like absolutely not nothing, but like a m- much less budget. So what I'm trying to get is they had to come up with effects for these star sequences and supernovas and stuff practically. And how they did that was through a kind of type of um, miniature photography or um, micro photography where they used like Petri dishes and would just put droplets in there and then watch the kind of expansion and make explosions out of that, you know, by recording these like micro, you know, diffusions and what have you happening in this Petri dish. And funny enough, uh, Oppenheimer, which just came out, which I was talking about earlier, used the same technique for some of uh, its explosions. So yeah, that when people do that kind of thing, that, that that's what I really love. Also, something that I have to mention is one of the best uses of effects is when you can seamlessly combine CGI with a practical effect. That's really when, when you are doing, you know, the Lord's work. Um, and the absolute best example of that is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. There was a lot of miniatures. There's a lot of um, practical effects, but they blended with CGI and it makes the CGI way more palatable for the eye. And uh, that's why those movies hold up so, so well. So, yeah, there we go. Thanks, Chris. And then for our final question, we are going to Beth and she wants to know, Name your top three Aussie movies and Aussie actors and actresses. Now, Beth, before I get into your question, I have to bring up this Aussie saying that I learned the other day because I think it is amazing. It is so incredible. And it goes like this. I'm not here to fuck spiders, mate. Like, what in the hell? I mean, (laughs) I'm not here to fuck spiders. Like... And apparently it means, like, I'm not here to mess around or waste time or whatever. It's just, it makes no fucking sense, but it's so Australian. It's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, so I had to share that. So I'm going to try as much as I can to, you know, in my day-to-day life, you know, probably mostly at work, say, I'm not here to fuck spiders. So, yeah. Anyway, to get to your question, I am an enormous fan of... Uh, Australian cinema. And one of the reasons for that is because much like British cinema, actually even more so than British cinema, Australian cinema is incredibly gritty and realistic for some weird reason. They go for this really hyper real, hyper visceral style of filmmaking that can be quite not unpleasant to watch, but it, it, but it, definitely impacts you and I've I've always always loved that and if I had to go my my top three films number one has to be uh, Mad Max Road Warrior or Mad Max 2 if you will depending on where you watched it one of the greatest sequels of all time it's right up there with Terminator 2 it kind of created what that look of Mad Max and the whole kind of vibe of that universe what it is it all came out of Road Warrior and also Road Warrior is one of those films, like I mentioned before, like Trainspotting, that almost seems like it's dangerous to watch. Like it's, it's, you're not supposed to see this. Like Road Warrior has some scenes in it that are so gritty and so gnarly that you kind of like, oh God, like this is, this is quite almost bordering on sick, you know, <laughs> but it's got that Australian flavor to it. And um, 
yeah, I really, really love it. Another two films that I have to mention is uh, one of Russell Crowe's very, very, very early films when he was just starting out uh, called Romper Stomper. If you have not seen this, give it a watch. This is before LA Confidential, before everything. It's a very young Russell Crowe. And this is where people picked up and took notice of him. They were like, okay. And uh, I will warn you, it's a very, very tough watch. Incredible Australian film. Another one that has to get a mention is Mr. Eric Banner in uh, Chopper, playing Chopper Reed. And if you haven't seen that film, just stop what you're doing right now. Go find it. It's also, it's got that kind of raw... I don't know if you've ever seen um, Tom Hardy and Bronson. It's got a little bit of that flavor. Um, yeah, go check it out. Amazing. Shoo, golly gosh. And that is it for today's AMA. Thank you, everybody who sent in your questions. And like I mentioned earlier, if you've got questions for next month's AMA, because I will be doing these every month, please send them through to me. You can get a hold of me on Instagram, on TikTok. Apparently, I'm on threads as well, or at Uncle Ram, so at U-N-C-L-E-R-A-M-Z-A. Or you can come find me on Facebook, if you haven't got me there already, and uh, the old, you know, old people's social network. And there you just look for Ryan Mathers, and you look for, you know, some weird guy who's crouched next to an R2-D2, lots of photos of dogs, lots of photos of Star Wars, and that's me. Add me, let's have a chat. Now, normally I end off these episodes with... A bit of a quote or a story or even in the first episode, a mom joke. Today's ending is going to be a little bit different. And we're going to end with a song, but not just any song. A song recorded at the Toad in the Road here in Lakeside featuring one young Daniel Enticott, a.k.a. Joe Pubic, friend of the channel. And Daniel, I gave a shout out on the previous episode because it was his birthday. And for some ungodly reason, it's called beer. He decided in his infinite wisdom that he's now going to do an Irish pub song at the Toad. And was recorded and pulled it straight out of his ass. And this is what he did. And it's frankly actually quite touching. Uh, so I thought, I said to him, I was like, dude, I have to end my next episode with this. Would you mind? He's like, of course. So here we go. Here's uh, young Daniel's ode to our friendship at the Toad in the Road. Please enjoy. Hope everyone has a great week further. Peace. Love you all. Bye. In a cosy little town where the toad stands tall, Ryan and Daniel, they answered the call. Beers in hand, laughter in the air. Time to catch up without a single care. Ryan and Daniel, friends through the years, sharing stories and a few more cheers. At the toad, where memories are made, in the company of friends in the evening shade. They reminisce about days of old, Adventures and tales, both silver and gold. Through thick and thin, they've always stood 
brothers in arms, it's understood. Ryan and Daniel, friends through the years, sharing stories and a few more cheers. At the tour where memories made in the company of friends in the evening shade. As the night goes on and the stars shine bright, they raise their glasses under the moonlight. A bond so strong like an oak tree's root, Daniel and Ryan, an unbreakable pursuit. Ryan and Daniel, friends through the years, sharing stories and a few more cheers. At the toad where memories are made in the company of friends in the evening shade. So here's to the nights at the toad you see, Ryan and Daniel forever wild and free. May their friendship continue to grow in this little town where the good times flow.